Good morning, church. What a gift it is to be with you all this morning and read God's word and worship together. Um, I'll give you a moment to flip in Philippians um, chapter 1, 21 through 30, like Paul said. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. I am torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. Just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your lives worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I will hear about you, that you are standing firm in one spirit and in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation. And this is from God. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I have. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Annalie. Good morning, church. Philippians chapter 1, we are going to jump in there in a moment, so you might want to have your Bibles there as we look at those uh, verses as we continue through our series um, you know, we're, we're looking at, <clears throat> in this series, we're uh, wanting to do it verse by, uh, verse by verse as we walk through, and, and that's a, there's a real reason for that, and the real reason for that is, is that I've got lots of ideas and a ton of convictions and many, many, many opinions that, if left unchecked, may or may not be true, um, and so, therefore, we need something, and so uh, one, of the, one of the dangers that, that, that comes to those who want to, uh, to preach, particularly even biblical truth, is that you need something that will uh, temper you, which doesn't mean dial back, but to temper you in a way uh, in which you will always speak the truth in love. Um, therefore, we, we don't just take um, the, our selected verses of the Bible that we like that prove our point. No, so we walk through a book. So that's why we're walking through Philippians. And we're walking through it, and one of the things that can be dangerous if, is if you were to do it literally just verse by verse, so just one verse by one verse. You can take that one verse, and if you remove it from the rest of the verses, you can almost make it say whatever you want, within limits. But you know what I mean? It's where it, when we break it up into verses, say 10 or 12 at a time, or 20 at a time, it forces preachers, if we're, if we're really wanting to, to preach the word accurately, it forces us, uh, it provides guardrails, right? So there can still be moments in which I get to express, or whoever gets to express that's preaching, um, there are deep convictions about that, and hopefully those are guided and directed by the Holy Spirit, but the Bible then becomes a guide for us. And so that's why we as a church are committed to these things. I say all of that to say that should you miss a week, totally get it. I would encourage you to go back and to, to try to pick up where we're at, because we're looking at a theme. So as I jump in this morning and I'm talking about a life that is devoted and dedicated, that didn't just come out of nowhere. No, we talked about it a little bit last week. And so there's a, a continuation. Does that make sense? But the thoughts from last week and this week are similar, um, and yet it moves forward. So I just want to encourage you that should you miss a week, it's not like wrong for you to miss a week, um, because you had an incredible reason. You would never miss it for a bad reason. So you had an unbelievably incredible reason. Um, and so that's okay. Um, but in order to follow, 
kind of where we're going, where we're going and how we got there, it really is good for you to go back. It's good to just help you understand this is, this is why we care and how we, we care about um, these things. It's why, like for example, like our 101, um, if you want to know more about our church, we really want you to be there. Um, we, I will say at our, at our luncheon, and Paul will probably restate it, um, we're really not a church that's desiring to attract a crowd. I mean, don't get, we're excited that it's getting harder and harder to find a spot, literally, whether it's parking or whether, whether we, we can get excited about that, right? We, but we're excited because we believe that that means more and more hearing and wanting to hear and God is using us. Like, that's where it comes from. So if you want to know more about where we're at, we want to invite you. So please, like, come and listen and enjoy the meal and the fellowship. And we want you to know who our staff and elders are. So we desire that. That's what 101 is all about. So please, don't just observe, but move to that next level of engagement. And that is why um, we have another thing, which we do three times a year, which is called member connection. And at that, that is a, a much more intentional time where we, members of Sunnybrook, get to come together and we eat with one another. And I get to talk about to this tonight, we'll be talking specifically, looking back at the wonderful things God did in 2023 and to kind of pull us together with a vision of what 2024 is going to look like. Um, uh, a little bit of a younger audience, second service than it is with, uh, with, with first service. But how many of you, I expect it maybe to be less, but maybe not. How many of you grew up with a fellowship dinner, kind of a church dynamic? Know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, there's still a lot of us. How many of you loved it? Honestly, I really did too. Um, it was just one of those things that I've always, 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 always loved. Um, and it's always easier when, you know, you have a fellowship dinner and church is in your house, which is what, what it was like growing up. Um, so it's like, mom, thanks so much again. So sometimes fellowship dinner is just called lunch with the family. But uh, as, as things have gone on, I've been in other churches and it really, really is fun. So thank you for coming. We're again supplying kind of the meat and then there's going to be different desserts and stuff like that. And it really gives us an opportunity to, to say thank you. And about 80% of us are bringing some really good food. You know what I mean? About 80% of us are bringing really good food. And then, and then it's a Christian place. So it's a Christian place, and so, you know, at the end of it, it's either, yeah, we, we had way too much macaroni salad, or we had way too much whatever, or it's like, hey, thanks, really appreciate that. So it is going to be a great time together. We are really, really, really excited. I hope that you will come and take a part of either 101, if you're at that new stage, or member connection, where we have an opportunity to, to really sit down in over about an hour and 20 minutes or so um, to just get to know more about one another and about what Sunnybrook is all about. Um, that's the reason behind things, right? And that's what we deeply desire, is that not that we're kind of loosely connected. It's, it's not come, hear a song, sing, um, have a thought, and then go on and live your life in the same way. It's no, we're, we're, we're coming here to engage at a, at a deeper, more genuine, ongoing level. Um, and so today we get to deal with this wonderful question. Um, the Apostle Paul is going to start talking in, in challenging terms. Live a life worthy. Live a life worthy of the gospel. What does that mean? Because we're dealing with this issue of dedication. And so I think it's appropriate to ask this. Is it possible that someone could be too dedicated or too devoted to something? And by the way, I think the answer is, kind of in a superficial way, without doing the work of discernment and kind of teasing that out, the answer is, well, yeah, obviously. Like, obviously, anybody could be too dedicated to, to something. Okay, we'll talk about that, tease that out a little bit more. But, but, but to God? Like, can a person be too devoted to God? 
And then what happens is all of us go to what we would call extremes, radicalized, don't want to become radicalized. By the way, radicalized are people who you think are too devoted, too obsessed to the things that you're afraid of. Right? Those are the radicalized. Yeah, if you're a Sooner fan, you're radicalized. Go Pokes. Right? No, but that's what we do. It's like, it's a, it's a way of us kind of creating a category for someone we disagree with. By the way, that doesn't make everything relative. No, we still have to work that out. But I think it's important. You know, one of the things that as I've been praying through and thinking through my own life and for us as a church, um, what is it that holds us a little bit at bay? It's because I think that most Christian people, I mean, the good ones, right, like you and me, are still a little bit reserved. And it might be because we kind of want to live our own lives and kind of fit Jesus in where we want him. I think that's part of it. I get it. That's all of us to some degree. Not wanting to fully commit. But I really think there is a mood right now in our, in our culture that that kind of radicalization, I don't, I think I'm suspect of it. Like I look at other people that are radicalized or they're these weird fundamentalists of whatever, whatever stripe. And I go, yeah, I don't know if that's good. I really think that moderating approach to things is just the appropriate way to respond to things. And by the way, I would say in, in many areas of life, that's actually probably true. Not with God. No, sorry, not with Yahweh God. Not with Jesus. I think I would argue rather strongly, it stands a little bit outside the scope of this sermon, but a little bit, it's, in, it's, uh, it's right there in the crosshairs. Um, I don't think you can be too devoted to Jesus. I don't, I don't think that works. And when society or you come up with examples, I would argue that most of the examples either are correct and we don't want to pay the price, like they're accurate pictures of people who are devoted and it does disrupt their life. And it does cost them dearly, which by the way, Jesus talked about costing family and being willing to even give up things like family. Right? Can you really love Jesus too much? And the answer is no, but that doesn't mean the cost won't be paid. And then when you go, yeah, but anything could be too much. And so that, now what you want is Jesus in moderation and you think the problem is the, or you think the problem is the extremism. No, 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 no. That extremism is a distortion of who Jesus is. And I hopefully, if we, if we want to sit down and talk, I would love to have this conversation and not to necessarily win you over. I'm willing to have a, a very real conversation that when you go back and you look, even at history, I get it. I love thinking through these things. That the problem where, maybe we need a capital C, small C, the problem where Christianity got it's wrong is not because they followed Jesus too strongly. It's that they thought they were following Jesus and they did not have the discernment and they did not have the kind of biblical challenges and checks and balances necessary and they clearly got it wrong. Clearly got it wrong. You don't read Jesus and get there. Nope, that is clearly a distortion. And it is corrupt and it is evil. And then the church wrongly tries to disassociate. No, 
That's, I think, improper. The good news of the gospel is that we can actually speak the truth about ourselves and others and society. And so where the church has been wrong, that is where we say that is wrong. But it wasn't Jesus. It wasn't the Bible. It wasn't even an obsession that caused that. It was sinful people taking godly words and manipulating them without any kind of check or balance and then corruption, manipulation, distortion. It's not the obsession. I really do not believe that we can take the good and perfect thing of God and the good and perfect thing of his word. If we corrupt it, it's our fault. It's not it. I really have been praying for us, both individually or us as a church collectively, to push into this and to lead into this and to not shy away because culture is afraid of extremism. And I have concerns about extremism. I really do. But the more that I look at it, it's probably lazy for me. And it takes no discernment. I I love this idea. It takes no discernment to just label all extremes as bad. It's like, I don't even have to think because I've decided that, right? That's the problem. No, 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 no. We've got to find out because this kind of extreme behavior, attitude, life change, I believe is what we are all called to. But what, you know, you gotta be careful. Can you hear people talking? And, and, and in me, it's a lot in my own mind. You gotta be careful. Really gotta be careful. You, you know, you really gotta be careful. I totally agree. It's how we're careful. Where we don't just all of a sudden dial it back to the point where it becomes indiscernible or becomes useless. A lot of Christianity that has just decided, you know, because we don't want to be extreme, is now just irrelevant. You're not willing to say anything about that topic. Well, you know, I'm trying to be relevant. Okay. In, in our quest for relevancy as a church, by the way, I would say the church and, and at some level us, we literally become irrelevant because there's no difference at all anymore between what you and I believe and the world around us. And by the way, if the world is right on that issue, sweet. But if they're wrong, we're no longer salt, we're no longer light. And what is needed is dedication and commitment. And what are we afraid of? I genuinely believe we are absolutely terrified. Absolutely terrified about just being dismissed. And and that is why we find the middle. And I am saying If the middle is where we need to be on a topic, then we need to be in the middle. If the middle is wise and prudent and appropriate, then that's where we need to be. And if the middle is not where Jesus would be, then may I stand in a different position, right or left. Neither matter. Wherever Jesus is, may I go there and find it. Because here is the reality, is that although we are afraid of being that Pinewood Derby, dad or mom. Um, We're so afraid. I've still never met these people before, but you know, kind of that stereotypical, my daughter is gonna win a beauty pageant, mom. Still never met one in my life. So all I have are these ideas that I've seen on like some kind of a TV show, right? These people that just, you know, it's like, that's weird. I, I, I got a lot of friends that do the fantasy football thing, right? And I would say a lot of them are rather obsessed, but none of them in which I've had to say, okay, we need to have an intervention. I've never had that yet, right? So most of us are 
probably in the normal category. I remember when I moved here, I kind of thought to myself, Stillwater, and I, I wanted to be good at this, and so I think I want to play golf, and then I just went with a couple of friends. If you guys you know where Karsten Creek is, I went there, I golfed, um, gave up my golf clubs on Saturday, golfed on Wednesday, uh, quit, on, quit somewhere between Wednesday and Saturday. Um, and truly, it wasn't like the obsession was wrong. I've never preached a sermon against golf. I, I really haven't. I've got some guys that golf a lot. I mean, good luck, enjoy it. But, but the thing is, if we're honest, this is how we can begin to, to, to realize if there's a problem or not. Our obsessions, whatever they are, shape us. I can tell by the back of your car what you care about, how you spend your weekends. I really can. I can see the things that you love, whether that be the name of your car or whether that be, I can, I can begin to get, a, I truly can, all of us, I can begin to get a sense of what, of what that is because it shapes us. How we dress, where we spend our time, where we spend our money. Does that make sense? All of those things shape us. And I, again, it's, it's, these things are, they're facts of life. And that's why Jesus is, is pointing us to, to do the evaluative work of asking, so where are you at? Like as you, as you look at where you spend your money, as you look at where you spend your time, like are you okay with that? Is that, a, is, that a, is that what a Christ follower would do? And by the way, there's room. Please don't make every Christ follower spend their time and money and resources and hobbies and habits like you. That's ridiculous. That's crazy. It does not make sense. So there is room. And then there is the using the it's room speech to obsess in a way that becomes disruptive to relationships and destructive to relationships including our relationship with God. But let us acknowledge that our obsessions shape us. And for that reason, that is why we seek to find ones that first of all honor God, and then second of all, somehow honor those around us that God has placed in our lives. And then I believe when we do that, then all of a sudden, we are ready to then move forward. And, and I would tell you, the, the beauty of life, the, the interesting aspects of life, is learning to um, integrate all of these things together. A little bit of a side thing. I'm, 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 I really am kind of committed rather deeply. I've talked about this extensively. It's been a while since I've talked about it. It's why I'm, I'm much more of a fan of using the word integration instead of balance when we talk about life. Because balance seems to like pit these things on either end. And I, I just don't know how that works. It just seems almost like, like it throws my mind out of whack. What I, what I try to do is rightly, right? You don't blend them together like they're, they're indiscernible, but I try to integrate things in life. I think that's what, that's what I think integrity means, a rightly integrated life where God literally doesn't fit into part of my life but rightly fits into every aspect of my life. Where somehow my family rightly is integrated into every aspect of my life to varying degrees and measures. That's what an obsessed life looks like that's committed to Jesus Christ. It's not less. It's actually more rightly ordered. So you tell me I have to sit down and read my Bible all the time. No, were you not listening? It's knowing when to read. It's knowing when to go. It's knowing when to gather. It's knowing how to grow. That's what it actually means. 
And then we can read verses like this and they can make sense. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be, oh, that just seems so radical, so out there. Verse 21, for me, Paul says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Okay, like that just seems so far removed from anything I can imagine. I don't wanna die. And it seems like he has a death wish. You're reading your fear into this text. It's not what he says. Watch, context explains. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me. He doesn't say, so if I live on in the flesh, my life is terrible and I hate it, I just wanna be dead. No, what does he say? For if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me. He is enjoying his life. By the way, he's in prison. And I don't know which one I should choose. But his point is, when I look at my life, or I look at going and being with Jesus, both of those things are amazing. Both of those things have Jesus at the center. Both of those things bring great joy and meaning and purpose to me. And I don't know which one to choose. And if at that moment you were to stop and say, Paul, so which one are you going to choose? I think he would also say, I'm not the one making the choice. I choose Jesus. He works it out. It's not mine to choose. I don't choose when to live or when to die. I choose how to live. The Lord is the one who chooses that. And so look at what he says. I, I, I'm torn between the two. I long to depart and to be with Christ, by the way, which is better by far. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Do you see what he looks? Like if I were to just talk about like where I want to be and what I want to do, man, it would just go be with Jesus, be with Jesus. But then I look at all that God has put on my heart and all that God has put on my plate. And now I look at your lives because your lives are deeply integrated with my life. So I won't even look at this selfishly. I want to know what Jesus wants. And then I look at you and Jesus has put you on my heart. And so therefore, I don't know. I think it is more uh, important for me. It is better for me to stay here. It's more necessary for you that I'm here. And so that is why I pray, Lord, I don't want to go with be with you, but I feel like God's saying, no, the Philippians need me, the Thessalonians need me, the Roman church needs me, Timothy still needs me. And the Paul, Paul is doing this amazing work that takes a lot of time discerning what God's will is for his life. He's not reading tea leaves, he's not just trying to get a sense or a feeling. No, he literally is doing the most complicated things. And when difficult things happen, he doesn't go, oh, that's bad. At, at times he goes, oh, this must be a sign that what I'm doing is good. I'm meeting opposition. This must be a good thing. And other times, doors open, like literally, magically open. Wow, this is what God wants me to do. Sometimes the door closes and God convicts him. Kick it down. He kicks it down. Other times, the door open, walk through. He walks through. He's so committed to discerning. And we don't do that. We're not committed to grow. That's why we did that whole series last year on wisdom. So that we're not stuck just dealing with life circumstances. And we're motivated mostly in a godly kind of wisdom instead of a worldly kind of wisdom. These are the kinds of prayers that I usher, I, I give up to God Especially in time, a lot of our prayers like, like this about die, living and dying have a lot to do like when we're sick and when we're really dealing with health issues that are way up there. I've been um, beside people in bed crying. I just, I don't want to leave my kids. And I get it. 
It's a very natural response for a dad or for a mom. And I understand and I have prayed with and I've heard people pray. It just seems to make sense that my kids will be better off with me. And I will say to them, I totally agree. I'm gonna pray with that. I'm gonna pray that too. Partly, I don't wanna go through the pain of death with them. And, and partly because I think it does make sense. Mom, put moms and dads here for a reason. Let's pray together. And we hold hands and we pray passionate, passionately, diligently, sacrificially. And then at the end of the prayer, we have this crazy statement we give. Have you heard this one? But not my will, but your will be done. Andrew and I, when our boys moved from really, really little to just little, and I would be traveling or we would be traveling together or something like that, and, and we started trying to help our kids understand, like, um, we, we trust the Lord with these things. And we, we don't just promise, oh yeah, we'll be back. You know, we don't scare them. Well, who knows if we'll be back? Like, it's not that. But I always wanted to speak truth to my kids. And so there were, there were times where I would say, yeah, you know, your mom and dad are going for the weekend. We're gonna be speaking here. We're gonna be doing that. Um, I just want you to know we're going on this mission trip or whatever. We, we don't know. I mean, we think we'll totally come back. But if we don't, I want you to know that this is kind of our plan. And, and when our boys, when we moved here, I remember um, we prayerfully and carefully thought of a young couple that would take our kids. And we just said, hey, by the way, so this is... The, this is the couple that you will call mom and dad, and, and, uh, and here's why we have done it. And our kids kind of a little bit got weird because they're like, really? <laughs> really? Wow. That would be awesome. <laughs> and it was, I think it was more that, you know, they, they just imagined a dad that they could really look up to, you know? I mean, it was one of those moments, but... Um, I remember telling them that, right? We, we, now we, we joke about it all the time. They're like, oh, you know, you guys have been good, but man, would it have not been awesome if they would have missed their mom? So, uh, but we wanted to help them understand, like as far as I can see life, I just don't know who would do a better job than, than, than mom and I. And that seems to be whatever, it's been the Lord's plan, I guess, up until now. And I love the confidence of the Apostle Paul. Look at how this continues. He doesn't just go, and who knows, this is where, this is where we gotta quit throwing up our hands. This is where there's a, there's a kind of Christian relativism, a, a Christian pluralism. So it's not pluralism where there's, there's not a biblical idea, but then when we get with one another, we kind of lose any ability of discernment. And we need the kind of wisdom that pushes us deeper into this. The Apostle Paul doesn't go, yeah, I don't know, I don't care, so I don't know. Look at what he says. Look at the confidence here. Since I am persuaded of this, he did the heavy lifting. He did the hard work. I am persuaded of this. I know that I will remain. What I love about that, it's not because I'm really afraid to die. No. He looks at his circumstances in prison, severely beaten, and goes, yeah, I think God's gonna make me do this like at least 20 more times. Because I just get, as I pray, and as I, I just see this hand and this pattern, and it's gonna be hard, and it's gonna be difficult, and I'm not dialing it back, because my obsession is not the problem. This world opposing Christ is. And I'm not quitting. And he pushes on, and look at that confidence. And yet, I don't think he would ever say, I know this. He doesn't have that kind of arrogance. I'm persuaded of this. I believe this is what the Lord wants. Oh, that in our families and in our relationships, 
that we would be able to have that level of discernment and commitment and this mixture of understanding. It's the reason why, I hope this never like, you, you, you take this ever the wrong way, it's a, but I think it's such a powerful analogy that we take the chips and we move them from way over here where I wanna protect them and we push them in the middle. Okay, everyone show your cards. The Apostle Paul's not cheating. All in. No, the Apostle Paul just looks at his cards, just sees Jesus in them. Weird analogy, but you know what I mean. He sees Jesus in them and he goes, I can't lose with this hand. Like, I just cannot lose with this hand. All in. That's not, it's not blind, um, but it's still human. As it is guided by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in him. As he is seeing him in a long line of witnesses who are following Jesus with this same kind of passion, he pushes the chips in the middle. That's what we're looking at. That's what we're seeing. I am persuaded of this, that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. That word there for boasting is sometimes, it's kind of the similar word for to glory in, to take pleasure in, right? It's, it's funny because we think of boasting as a negative thing, but the Apostle Paul uses it. I boast in Christ. I boast, I boast in what Christ did for me. But you see how it's not like boasting in him? You know what Jesus did for me? Do you know how much Christ loves me? And it's so hard to say that. It's kind of like when we sing the song, Oh, How He Loves. Oh, How He Loves Us. Sometimes we think it's because we're just so lovable. No, you, you're, you're singing it wrong. You keep that sloppy, wet kiss to yourself. Right? For the, you guys remember the song, right? I just didn't make that up. That's in the song. That's not it. That's not it. Oh, the amazing love of Christ. Oh, the amazing grace of God. That while I was a still sinner, Christ died for us. It's that kind of boasting. Wow. That's what the Apostle Paul is leaning into. And that obsession of who Christ is shaped him. And so he's not a manipulator. He's, he's not trying to pervert or to take over. He's not trying to oppress women or alternative ways. No, no, no. I read that into the text. You read that into the text. Culture shaped you and then you read that into the text about whatever the topic might be. I believe he was right. I'll stand on that hill, actually. I believe the word of God is right. And I'm, I'm glad that the word of God is mildly to moderately to extensively offensive in every culture. May it always be that way in this broken world. But obsession towards that is not the problem. Dialing it back is failure on behalf of those who are followers of Jesus Christ. So we pursue a life well lived, a life worthy of the gospel. I love Saving Private Ryan. Love that movie. Except at the end, I got kind of frustrated with it. First of all, why did Captain Miller have to die? I'm literally going, no, 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 I like him. I like, ah, oh, he's dead, right? 
and he's on the bridge. And, and this is actually, I mean, I like movies that, that, that make me deal with complicated things. And so it's not like I just want it to give me what I want. I actually, in this sense, I like it. Because remember this scene? He's on the bridge. He, he and a number of others have sacrificed their lives. And he grabs him. And he pulls him close, right? He pulls him close, Private Ryan. And he says what? Earn this. Wow. Like, you don't want to overburden a young man. Don't want to overstate this. Earn this. But I get it. But I am, like, eternally grateful. Those are human things that we could say. I mean... Like, it's a human thing to go, you know, my son sacrificed his life and I'm so mad that a country refuses to appreciate it. Listen, I I get that sentiment 100%. Totally get it. You know, what's fascinating is God doesn't have that attitude. Hear me, not that he won't deal with those who do not accept the wonderful gift that he gave. But God's never resentful. Like Jesus doesn't pull his disciples close. Actually, there was only one there. Earn this, John. Why? Because he actually knew what Mr. Or what Captain Miller did not know at that moment. You can't earn this. And if you tell somebody that, they will just live their lives just completely like overwhelmed and wanting to quit. Can you imagine living with that? And like, no wonder at that final scene, he is just broken down and weeping and he's, he's begging his family. And, and you know what? I guarantee you this, if the movie were to play out and he says, did I, tell me I lived a good life, honey. Tell me, and his kids and his wife and they're all sitting there and they're like, you did. He didn't go, oh good, now I feel better. You know it. He says, thank you for saying it, but he still doubts it and he still wonders and he still can't come to grips with the sacrifice that those other men gave for him and it is just a torment ongoing. And I know a lot of Christians right now that feel somehow that when Paul says, live a life worthy, Jesus has pulled you close, blood, sweat, earn this. So not Jesus. He knows there is no way you can. And that's why he went. Isn't that incredible? If you're trying to, and these words will come up in the text, chapter two, work out your salvation. It's not work out your salvation so that you can earn what Christ did. The working out is more of a working from. That is why what the apostle Paul says here is, look at this, Starting in verse 27, he describes what we are. We are citizens of heaven. This is who we are. This is who we are. We are citizens of heaven. It's not earn this. Earn your citizenship. It's live out of your citizenship. Do you know who you are? You're a citizen of heaven. Just one thing, he says. In light of this devotion, in light of this dedication, in light of all of my discernment, in light of all of my sacrifice, here is the one thing I want to tell you, and it's not earn this. It's this is who you are. Just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about what you, I'll hear about you 
that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This, okay, now I just want to stop for a moment. The this sign is what he just said. Okay, so let's go back. Two things are a sign that our faith and our commitment and our obsession is right. The first one is this, that we are standing together in one spirit. So often when I hear about like church unity things, it's like, you know, because if we're going to be a football team and we're going to win, which we're not a football team, but if we're going to be a football team and we're going to win, we're going to have to be one. If we're going to run this, this, uh, this uh, you know, four by 100, we got to be one. And if we're not one, and if we're going to win this election, then it's not an election. Okay, no, but if we're going to do this, we got to be one. And all of these analogies don't miss the point. It's not... We need to do this so that we can win. Again, that's an earn this mentality. It's a win this mentality. It's no, 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 no. As followers of Jesus Christ who are absolutely obsessed with his mission, we will be of one accord. So therefore, we are fighting for and working for what already is. Now hear me. That, if, you're not, if you don't like paradoxes, Christianity is the wrong religion for you. If you don't like that kind of complexity if you don't like that kind of what we might want to call nuance, then Jesus will drive you crazy and the Bible will make no sense and you'll be frustrated with contradictions and problems. But with humility, all of a sudden you have to work it out. And literally what he says is, the fact that the church, as broken as it can be, as wrong as it can be, I believe can also assess itself rightly. One of the most fascinating stories I heard about recently when I was in school was, was this statement. We were telling a story. I love, I love church history. Um, and there was this, 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 this time in church history um, where the church was trying to find missionaries to go to Ireland because Ireland was full of just people who didn't love Jesus. And so the church was like, we really need a lot of missionaries to go there. And they couldn't get anybody to go. And when the church started investigating why, it was like, well, because that's where we get our slaves. So we know we're not allowed to get slaves from our brothers and sisters. So if we convert Ireland, it's really going to hurt us. And so they just didn't go as missionaries. Totally wrong at every level. And the church went, we got to change that. We got to change. I'm not saying they got it perfect from that on out, but they, they, they said, that is wrong. And, and we got St. Patrick's Day in a way from this. Not, not joking. Because somebody went, that's not why I'm not going. I'm going to go and I'm going to change that. And as one, complicated one, in one accord, in one mission, this is who we are, and that is a sign. That is why I think you need to come to 101 and you need to come to member connection. It's not just that we've got pizza and potluck. It's to live your life somehow removed from the people sitting around you because we're busy or whatever. There's something inherently broken with that. And we're not trying to win a game or a race. We're actually trying to witness to the world which doesn't believe we're one, that we are one. And honestly, just a little bit of an aside, that's one of the reasons why I can never join the I hate the church bandwagon. 
which is so popular in churches, which makes no sense to me. No, we speak honestly about the church, but I don't hate her, I love her. And we stand as one. And that oneness that I gotta be a part of, I can't run from it, that, that, that is a sign. And the second sign is, is that we won't be frightened. Which doesn't mean that we don't need to be brave. It doesn't mean that we're not gonna kind of need to just everything to get out of this foxhole. But I'm telling you, that it's, it's, it's movement in the midst of that where we just don't give ourselves over to frustration and anger, where we don't just don't become one more hater or one more person that's just completely abandoned. No, 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 no. What he is describing here is that a life that is worthy of the gospel is a life that is united in mission and a life that lives without fear, which is doesn't mean we never feel fear. It just means that it is not the reason why we hide and stay, but our obsession drives us forward. Paul says, this is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation and this from God. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only that you believe in him, but that you also suffer for him since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw that I had and hear that I now have. So here's the last point from this Philippian text. They would go, but Paul, our, our life looks totally different than yours. Yours looks so much more intense and amazing. And he's like, I know, that's just because of the circumstances, but we have the same obsession. We have the same uniting. We have the same courage. We have the same mission. And mine looks like this and yours looks like this. And if you remove even like, a, like a, a Christian version of envy and strife, and if we remove all of that, we, we even celebrate that others give more and sacrifice more and are even maybe more mature or are further. I'm, I'm not envious of that. Or it, my envy is not destructive. My envy actually brings boasting and praise to God that others have a greater boldness. And I, I don't resent it and I don't tell them to dial it back because their boldness makes me feel bad about myself. I, I celebrate it and I surrender it to God, to his glory, and it spurs me on. Don't you want to be part of a church like that? I'm not going to say all of it again, but I want to say that last part again. Don't you want to be part of a church like that? Part of a kingdom like that? Please don't settle for the middle. Trust Jesus to work out extreme devotion to him. And Paul remembered these words, first of all, from Isaiah. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. Hebrews, the Hebrew writer um, which I don't think was Paul, but the Hebrew writer says this. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can a man do to me? And, and by the way, those men can beat you and lie about you and cancel you. Those men can make your life really, 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 really hard. They can put you in prison. They can even take your life. And then Paul would go, yeah, I know, but what can they really do to me? That's crazy. Devoted to Jesus. Here's my sermon in a sentence. Sentences. 
It's like I haven't used all, too many already. A life lived that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus is shaped and strengthened along with other followers who are obsessed with the cause of Jesus. Together, they, we, if you're invited in, no, no, you are invited in if you accept the invitation. Together, we complete Jesus' mission. That blows my mind. Together, we complete Jesus' mission. And what do we do? Hopefully, it's not they to you. We make disciples, we love one another, and we live without fear in the midst of all kinds of temptation and opposition. That's what the devoted life looks like. Like, I don't think I'm wrong. I'd love to actually sit down and talk with you a lot about this. You know, um, like the world around us so wants to paint us as an extreme. And I think where we get it wrong, where I've gotten it wrong in the past, is I just go, oh, no, 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 I promise I won't be extreme. That's what we do. No, you don't, you don't understand. Jesus is the opposite of that. He so doesn't want to be extreme. No, you missed the point. We are to be extreme. And that does create problems in our relationships, but the right kind of problems in our relationships, the right kind of problems in our society, the right kind of things that we've got to then deal with. Where our problem is not my personality or the way that I expressed myself. No, 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 that I definitely need to repent of and from. But I can never get following Jesus rightly wrong, ever, ever. That's what the world needs more of. And maybe this meal takes on a crazy level of significance when it comes to that. Because I don't know how anyone can rightly look at this meal of Jesus talking about sacrifice, um, ideas about turning the other cheek and praying for enemies and, 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 and putting your needs below those around you. I don't know how you ever eat this meal and then ever mistreat others. Manipulate, exploit. I don't know how you would do that. No, something else would have to be broken. This meal is only redemptive and good. And if you and I were to reflect on this as a church, this is obsession. It can, to leave heaven and come to earth and then to the cross, that is obsession. To then ask us to do the same, that is obsession. There is no middle. There is just extremely, extremely obsessed goodness in Jesus. And so he takes the bread representing his body and he breaks it. And he takes a piece of it because he is about sacrifice and service to the glory of God. This is my body. I want you to obsess about this. I want this to shape you. This Everything that I am and everything that this meal here is about, I want it to be what you are about. Therefore, eat it. It's not the blood of others. 
It's the sacrificial blood of Jesus. Let us drink. Staying focused to that, our obsession under the guidance of the only spirit can only be good and redemptive in our world. I really do pray that we as a church, and maybe even by the songs that we are about to sing, would be more extreme. And when I say that, in a way that the world does not understand, but becomes our greatest joy. Let us sing and live in light of who Jesus Christ is. Amen? Let's do that together now.